We have been walking through the book of Ephesians uh, for a long time, and today, the text that we're going to be looking at, and on the back of your program, there's an outline that you can follow, and we have Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible, or if you need a Bible today, uh, they're, they're for the taking. We encourage you to have your Bible and read it. It's not supposed to be a bookend, you know, in your library where you have Bibles on the ends and your books in between and you never look at it. A Bible will transform your life if you read it and let God speak to you. Uh, it, he's done that in my life. He's done it in many lives in this auditorium. And, um, and we're going to hear something that will endorse that as well in just a moment. I didn't say this in the, uh, in the first gathering, um, but I want to make something very clear, that the text that Paul has written to the church in Ephesus, uh, chapter 5, verses 8 through uh, 14, he's, uh, he's going to be making a, a contrast between darkness and light, darkness and light. And when you look at life and the way people live their lives, um, I, think, I think some individuals think, you know, we have darkness, we have light, and it's okay. It's okay if I'm, a, you know, in the middle or, you know, leaning towards darkness, but I, I call myself light. Um, you need to know this morning we, I think we all need to be reminded of the simple fact, where does, where does darkness come from? And who is, who is the author of darkness? And it's Satan. And unfortunately, in our, in our Bible schools today, our theology schools, seminaries, etc., um, there's teaching out there. In fact, last Wednesday night, uh, Pete Briscoe, has been going through the book of Daniel talking about end times, the end of time uh, as we know it, but how Daniel prophesied, wrote about things that would happen uh, in the world hundreds of years before they happened. And they happened. Everything happened in in chapter 8. You know, it's done. It's happened. So we can trust God's word. We can trust it. And... There's an enemy who hates you, and he doesn't want you to go to heaven. Just like there's darkness and light, there's heaven and there's hell. There's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's no, mm, you know, I'll be here for a while and I can pray my way into heaven. No, that's, it's not. It's not it doesn't happen. It's not going to happen. God loves you so much that he's given you time while you're breathing right here, right now, to make a decision that you will either live for God or you will reject God. And when you reject God, you're telling God, I don't want to spend eternity with you. And so God, therefore, has no other choice but to give you your wish and your desire and your choice that you will spend eternity away from him. That's what hell is. I want that to become a reality because these verses that we're going to be looking at 
in just a few moments. There is a battle raging. There is a battle raging for your life, for your future in eternity. You have to be aware of that. And unfortunately, in our culture today, people will dismiss that. Yes, people, you know, uh, they'll look for ways to live longer, but ultimately every single person will die. No matter how long you live on this planet, you're going to die one day and you will stand before God. You will stand before God and give an account of your life. It will happen. And you have to be prepared for that. That's why God has given us his word. That's why we treasure God's word at Life Church because it's true. It's true. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of misinformation going on about Jesus Christ and God. That's why you, 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 me, we have to take the responsibility of reading the Bible for ourselves. Even on Sundays, you should be checking out what I'm talking about to make sure it's in the Bible. Because it's for your soul, and your soul will live forever. We're going to be talking about a young man who experienced that spiritual battle in his own life and the battle of good and evil in his life. And the decision that he made. Um, so, before we, uh, before we get started today, let's just take a moment. And uh, we know the Lord is here. We don't have to ask him to be here. You, you never have to ask the Lord to be where you are because he already is. God is omnipresent. Omnipresent means he's everywhere. All the time. And he loves being with you. And he loves being here. Because we're together. He loves it. When we point people to him. So let's talk to him. Lord, we thank you today. I, I pray that the seriousness of this talk this morning would become reality in each one of our lives. I get it, Lord, that there's thoughts already in, in, our, in our heads thinking what we're going to be doing when we leave here, all the different things we have to do today, this week, the stuff we've come through last week. Everything's racing to get control of our thinking, and, and, and uh, Lord, I pray that there would be clarity in these next moments where the spirit of the living God would be able to talk to each one of us, that there wouldn't be resistance, that there would be an open door to allow you to speak to each one of us, and that we would be honest enough and that we would be um, 
desperate enough to say, Lord, have your way in my life totally. In Jesus' name, amen. I really enjoyed the song banner this morning, didn't you? With the, with the banners being out there, waving. Man. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face. What a day that will be. There's a man, young man, by the name of Naheem Fazal. He's a Muslim that grew up in Kuwait. He and his family studied the Quran diligently. And uh, while he was grounded in the Muslim faith, a chain of events took place in his life that set him on a, a new spiritual journey. Can I just say that's what God wants for each one of us? His older brother, Mahmoud, who uh, had the opportunity of coming to the United States to, uh, to study here for a year, he came back home uh, to be with his family. Naeem picked this up right away. After his, his brother being gone for a year, he comes home he, and he senses there's something different about his older brother. Something's happened to him. And so his brother said, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ and kind of gave his story. And, and Naeem said, when he told us that, I threatened to kill my own brother because of what he had said and what he had done. And there was resentment that built up in Naeem over his brother's choice. And, but there was still something going on inside of Naeem to say, Man, there's something different about him. And so he chose to come visit his brother in the United States and to confront him about his faith in Christ. And three weeks after coming to our country, uh, he and his brother went to see a Christian film. And Naeem recalls, here I was confronted with this whole new concept of a whole new religion, but it was more than a religion. In that movie, I realized that maybe there was something else out there besides Islam. And so he began to question his own Muslim faith. And he said, I remember praying, and I, I wouldn't even call it prayer. It was more of, I don't know who's up there. If you're real, show me. And after that, I had a, another conversation with my brother. And he told me that this God that he was talking about came down in the form of a man. God sent his son, Jesus, who would pursue you. And do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. That's what Naheem's brother told him. I like that. He will pursue you and he will do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. Have you noticed that? And I remember making fun of him. Uh, I said, well, if, will he just come down if I ask him? And his brother said, why, sure. Yes, he will. And I remember at that point thinking, this is ridiculous. you know. But in my head I was thinking, man, if this is true, then why don't you... Reveal yourself to me. That night when Naeem went to sleep, he said, 
I sensed in my bedroom, in the house where my brother was living, in my bedroom, there was dark, there was evil, there was a sinister presence in my bedroom. He said, I looked up and the room started to look really strange, more like death. It was demonic, something I couldn't explain. I ran to my brother's bedroom and told him what I was experiencing. And my brother said, the only person I know that has the power over spiritual darkness like that is Jesus Christ. So Naeem went back to his bedroom and it was 3 o'clock in the morning. Naeem's brother had given him a Bible He never had opened it up to that point, but then, sitting on his bed, he opened to the Gospel of John and started reading. I said, Jesus, I don't know who you are. I can't call you Savior. I can't call you anything because at this moment, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I need help. And if you will help me, then I will give you my whole life. And as Naeem was reading the gospel and and talking to God, uh, really out of desperation, he said, suddenly I began to experience the presence of God in my room. He said, all I can say was the peace of Jesus Christ that filled that room and invaded every part of my life and body. And then I sensed that the Lord was speaking to me, and he said, your life is not your own, Naeem. And I believed it. He says, I finally understood all that my brother was trying to tell me, and as a Muslim, I learned the Quran and knew a lot about Allah, but I did not have a relationship with him. It makes total sense now. It only makes sense that God would come to us in the form of a man, a human, to be able to relate to us, but also to redeem us and to have relationship with us. It is amazing to know God and be intimate with him and have him give you a purpose. And since I placed my faith in Christ, I found what I've been created for. And now I want to get as many people to experience that love that he has for me. Today, in case your curiosity gets the best of you, what is Naeem doing today? Well, he's pastoring in North Carolina. Pretty cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. The point of Naeem's story is this, friend, that he was living in darkness and he experienced demonic uh, presence in his bedroom because there was a search for truth and Satan did not want him to experience the light of Christ. And some of you this morning are experiencing that same kind of it might be a little more passive, but it's, it's preventing you from taking that step of faith to say, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I know because I did it for a while. I sensed God coming after me and I kept pushing him away. Not now, not now. But finally I relented, for which I'm grateful. The Lord will pursue you He will pursue you because he wants to have a relationship with you. That's an incredible kind of love. And so, this light and this darkness, we want to look at it today. Let's go to the book of Ephesians and uh, and, uh, on your outline, 
you can look at um, starting at verse 8, but I want to go back to two weeks ago when we, we introed chapter 5. We need to do that because Paul is continuing in that same uh, format of communicating to the church in Ephesus. And so, um, let's, let's check it out here. Ephesians, do we have that? We got it? Verse 1? Yeah, here we go. All right, here we go. This is the background. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So remember two weeks ago we hit this, that Paul was basically giving us a picture of the great love of God in those first couple verses. And then he transitions to how we should live our life in a practical way. He says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. What's Paul saying? You choose to live a lifestyle like this and you will not be in heaven. It's a lifestyle that Paul is addressing here. You know? We're talking about heaven, we're talking about hell. We're not talking about purgatory, any middle ground that you can try and sneak into. It's one or the other, friend, and you have a decision to make. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. My, our culture today is excusing all of these things. They're endorsing them. You can't help yourself because you're this way. You were born this way. You can't help yourself. That's a lie. That's an excuse. The power of Jesus Christ can transform your life if you let him. Do not, do not hang with people who are making excuses on why they can do these things to justify, rationalize these sins. You know, God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. To, yes, it does. And it's bigger than that, as we'll find out. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. The anger of God simply means the justice of God. God is a just God. God is a God of love. But because God is a God of love, he is also a God of justice. And the decisions and choices you make will have consequences. God doesn't see what I do. Yes, he does. God doesn't know what I'm thinking. Yes, he does. And he still loves you. Verse 7, don't participate in the things these people do. That's pretty clear. And so now, this morning, we transition to verse 8. And you've got it on the back of your, your outline as well. 
For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord, so live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, one thing we can say about Paul is he makes things pretty easy to understand, right? Is anybody confused by what you just heard? Anybody confused? I know some of you, you know, I can't raise my hand, you know. Well, you could raise your hand in your heart, you know. And some of you are doing that because you are, you're already rationalizing disobedience to God. You're already talking yourself out of what you just heard. Paul is, is very clear on how you and I should live our lives. And I appreciate that about him. He's a man. And you and I live in a world where we are facing all kinds of temptation every single day. And none of us could deny that, right? We, we can't deny it. That's why just as wise as you would be to have a plan of escape from your house if your house caught on fire, you, that, was, that would be a plan you did ahead of time. You wouldn't be in the midst of a fire thinking, What's the best way to get out of my house? It's too late. You want to have a plan ahead of time. So you know. That's why it's good as parents, you talk to your children ahead of time to say, when this situation comes up, this is a wise way to respond. Instead of putting your son and daughter in an environment and say, good luck. You train them ahead of time. This is a wise way. This is an honoring way to the Lord and how you can respond when this temptation comes your way. Why is that? Because God did not leave you on this planet to walk in defeat, spiritual defeat and compromise and darkness. He has allowed you to live here and now with the light of Christ in you to be that example to the people that you have of influence in your life. So, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. The intro in your notes, you can fill it in. Light, that's, as you can tell, that's kind of a theme for the morning. Light, Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Isn't it interesting? Right in chapter 1 of the Bible, God is... is separating darkness from light. Darkness filled the universe, and God looked at it, and he says, I'm going to do something about it. And he said, let there be light. And your Bible says, and there was light. That's your God. 
He speaks and it happens. That's, that's incredible. He speaks things into existence. And right from the beginning of the creation of our planet, God is separating darkness and light, and that's what he wants in your life as well. That's why you are alive right here, right now, to separate darkness and light by being the light of Christ where God has planted you. That is your responsibility. I love it. When darkness reigns, the only way it can rain is when light is absent. Have you noticed that? Light has to be absent for light, for darkness to reign. Where light shines, darkness flees. Have you noticed that? Yeah. So let me ask you this morning, how well is God's light shining through you right now? Go ahead and rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being very bright. (laughs) And I'll let you figure out the rest of those numbers. See where you land. Hey, how well is God's light shining through your light right now? Hmm? Does your presence in the world where God has you planted, does your presence in this world, is it making a difference? Hmm? At home, at work, do you have a vibrant witness that draws people to Christ? Or, or, this has become very popular in the church in America today. We have become professional light turner on and offers. We're very good at it. We have our little red wagon behind us. And we have our, we have our, 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 our the, the shade, you know, and our bushel. And any time we go into, we're going into an environment, we take the, 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 the bushel out of the wagon, we put it over our light. In other words, we whoo, turn the light off. We want to be just like everybody else in the room. We come out of the room, we take the bushel, we put it back in the wagon, boop, and we feel good about it. That's a problem. That's been a problem. But we're getting very good at it. I would encourage you, friend, and myself included, go buy some duct tape and tape that switch on. And every time you're tempted to turn it off, when you look at that duct tape over the switch, I will not turn that switch off. I will not take the bushel and put it over my light. I will let it shine bright. Because that's why I'm here. That's why God has you here. And so, I like, I like the way Jesus uh, handled it as well. Um, you know, there's been two extremes in, our, in, in Christianity where we, we, um, we don't want to offend anybody, you know, when we live for Christ. And so, we become what they are, you know. And really, there's, when it comes down to it, there's not, any, not much difference between us and those who are not believers in Christ. That, that's been a problem. Another extreme is where we isolate ourselves so much that we're basically good for nothing in our culture. You know, we go into hiding. We've been, we're in survival mode. And why would anybody want to live like us when we're living in a cave? Right? 
We're off the grid, so to speak. No, that's, those are two extremes. Look at what Jesus says when he's talking to his father about you and me. In John 17, starting at verse 15, he says, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Is that clear? That is not survival mode. That's not being like the non-believer. No. That's letting your light shine in the culture that God's planted you and to make a difference. So, so um, just like Jesus was in the world, man, read the Gospels and find out where Jesus, did Jesus have some kind of a commune up on some mountain, you know? Let's say the Mount of Olives. He had a commune. Come find me. I'm the son of God. No, he went out where the people were. And that's the example you and I are to follow. If you've got kids, be a coach. Be a coach for your kids. Get out there with the kids, man. Right? Build relationships. When you're at work, don't be a phony baloney. I don't like my colleague at work. Ask God for grace. That's why God has you there. So Lord, use us. Number one, darkness no more. Verse 8a, for once you were full of darkness. There's a website called the Experience Project, and they, they uh, talk about on the site different life experiences and um, one post, the readers were asked to respond to the following statement, I prefer darkness over light, and they were supposed to uh, give their opinion on that. A young woman by the screen name of Beyond Repair offered a very honest, transparent response. She writes, I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. You see, some people are living their lives just like that. They love the darkness. Paul is writing, for once you were full of darkness. Just a theological question here. Anybody have an idea what the literal meaning of full means? It's not a trick question. (laughs) Full literally means full. I know it's profound on a Sunday morning. So when you go put gas in your tank in your car, when it's full, what does full mean? You have a full tank of gas. If you put any more gas in, it's going to come pouring out of the side of your car, right? That's what full means. You can't put anything else in it. Paul is saying, you and I used to be full of darkness. You couldn't put any more darkness in us. We were full of darkness. 
Do you know, do you know the picture that Paul is talking about here? He is, he is painting a picture in how desperate it was before you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ. We were hopelessly lost in darkness. Nobody had a, had a pilot light going on the inside of their core. A pilot light. There's some hope in there, you know. No, there was, we were full of darkness. We were full of darkness. Previously, Paul was talking in, in chapter 7 not to participate in these, the things that these people do. And, um, and that's what Paul is saying. Once you were full of darkness, you used to do these things. In 1 Peter 2.9, for you are a chosen people, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He's called you out of the darkness. He, He hasn't kept you one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. No, it says he called you out of the darkness. So, Paul is saying, you know, that we had no power to change ourselves. We had no, you know, if I do enough good stuff, then the light is going to, sh- no. It's all because of Jesus. There's been, a, there's been full darkness, hopelessness, but God loved you and I so much that, that he made a difference with Christ. Now, Matthew 4.16, Jesus was just coming into his public ministry. And this is a quote from the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, written about Jesus. Look at this. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. That was you and me. You and I have, and we're sitting in darkness, but we've seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Who's the light? It's Christ. Christ has come. The light of the world, where people lived in where death cast its shadow. You don't have to fear death anymore because the light of Christ has come. And so we're grateful for that. Um, what, 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 what's happened, though, is um, George Barna, who, who does, uh, you know, gets a pulse of, of Christianity uh, in America, back in 1998, wrote this, within a few years, America would either experience a massive spiritual renewal or total moral anarchy. That was 21 years ago he wrote that. What do you think about that massive spiritual renewal, friend? Or is it moral anarchy? I'll give you my vote. I think we're in moral anarchy right now. We're in a free fall, morally, in our country. Is there hope for America? I believe there is. But a spiritual renewal, I haven't seen signs of it, you know, going across. uh, Pockets, there's pockets. Can I tell you something? You and I have the responsibility for spiritual renewal to happen in our lives personally. You don't have to wait for it to happen somewhere else. You, we can nurture it 
right here, right now, to keep that flame going for Christ. Burn hot, so to speak, for Christ. The problem with the church, it's lost its fluence because Christians have neglected their responsibility to let their light shine. That's the number one problem in America today. Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, have become professional light turners, honors, offers. We turn it on, we turn it off. We're very good at it. And guess what? That does not attract people to Christ. That's why the church has lost its influence. So when you look back, when Paul's writing this at the church of Ephesus, uh, there's an an island of light in that city. Now think about it. Ephesus was the, the, the temple where the temple, the goddess Diana was, and people from around the world would come and worship her. And let me tell you something. Ephesus was morally bankrupt. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus to be the light. Of Christ. They, they could make a difference. So, number two, darkness no more. Light has come. Light has come. Number two. Look at verse 8 8b. But now, but now you have light from the Lord. Isn't that cool? The light has come. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Listen to this verse Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. Charles Wesley experienced that light. Why? The light has come. The light has come. It's interesting that this transformation, now you have the light from the Lord. Formerly you were and I were darkness. You know, we were full of darkness and that was their identity. Now, <clears throat> there's, there's talk in, in Christian circles that I am a sinner saved by grace. And I'll tell you, that's wrong theology. I was a sinner saved by grace. When you see yourself as a sinner, then you are endorsing giving in to sin. I'm a sinner. That's all I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. See, I see myself as a sinner, so sinners sin. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a sinner. You have been adopted into God's family. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you saint. Why? Because your sins have been forgiven. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's your identity. And that's part of the problem in the body of Christ. We, if you see yourself as a sinner, you will sin and be very good at it. But when you see yourself as a child, a son of God, and a daughter of God, that liberates you. 
You're not going to be perfect, but when you occasionally sin, you will go to your father and ask for forgiveness. That's a cool thing. So the light has come. And Paul is saying we should live who we really are as sons and daughters of God. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That's good stuff. Verse 9, For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You know, you don't have to work it up, you know. I have to try harder. No, 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 no. You let Christ live his life through you. Ah. So, some of you know how fast stuff is growing lately, right? Uh, You could have a full-time job cutting my lawn. I cut it, the next day I should cut it again. It's like somebody comes in at night and pours Miracle Girl on my lawn, you know? You put a seed in the ground, it automatically grows whatever that seed possesses. It grows. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he resides in you. He's planted a seed in you, and you will automatically grow like him by spending time with him. You don't have to work harder. It happens automatically. So what Paul is saying, look at this, verse 9. For this light within you, the light, the light of Christ, produces, that's what produce, the produces only what is good, right, and true. There you have it. And so, um, we rest in that simple fact. When you go to the airport and you have your suitcase, how many of you are nervous about putting your suitcase through the x-ray machine? Anybody? That's good. That's good. I know I don't. If I had a bomb in there, if I had you know, drugs, if I had uh, diamonds, I was smuggling diamonds, you know, I would say, man, I'm nervous about putting my suitcase, I hope they don't see it, but man, when my suitcase just has my clothes in there, go ahead, man, put the light on it, I have nothing to be afraid of, I have nothing to fear. That's, That's what Paul is saying, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we live our lives in such a way that we're an open book. We allow ourselves to come into the light to see who we really are on the inside. That's why last Sunday in communion, we, Paul says, examine yourselves. And as a follower of Christ, we should have the liberty to come into the presence of God and say, God, put your light on me and let me see if there's anything displeasing to you. Go ahead. Put it on, Lord. He loves it when we come in like that. Number three, find out. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And so, uh, Paul tells us as a child of God, a child of light, it means that you invest your life discovering what pleases the Lord. And how do you do that? You have to read the Bible, right? You do. There's no other way. Uh, You need to hang out with people of like mind, other followers of Christ. It means 
spending time in the Lord's presence. He will let you know what pleases him. Now, uh, we're doing a, a marriage preparation class for a couple who's going to be getting married uh, this summer. And one of the, the books they're reading is The Five Love Languages, um, The Secret to Love That Last by Gary Chapman. This is an all-time favorite. When Debbie and I got married, um, we didn't have a pre-marriage course. Uh, I, I, uh, we went to the pastor and said, yeah, we want to get married. When do you want to get married? Okay. So all we had to do is show up at the rehearsal. And the next day we were married. It was kind of like good luck. You know? We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, uh, and, and so, man, you know, when conflict came, we think, oh, no, you know, we're the only ones that have conflict. And, hey, everybody has conflict. But you work through that conflict in a constructive way. Anyway, the five love languages, usually couples have different love languages. So what helps is when you identify the love language of your spouse. It does. It really helps. I, I identified Debbie's love language, and I was able to make changes in how I responded to her in very practical ways, you know. And it's made, to me, it's made our relationship healthier, you know. Can I tell you something? Nobody else had that responsibility to find out my wife's love language than me. It was my responsibility as her husband. My responsibility. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is your responsibility to find out what pleases the Lord. That's your responsibility. You have to become a self-feeder in reading God's Word. When I, when I talk on Sundays, you need to research it and make sure it's the truth. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to read God's Word on a consistent basis and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and to challenge you to become like Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. Paul says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a softer way of what Paul talked about in, in Ephesians 4.30. He says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. What's he saying? He's saying God's Spirit has feelings. He's not made of stone or brick. He has feelings, and you can, you can hurt him. You can grieve him. The message puts it this way, don't grieve God, don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making him you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. When you realize how much God loves you, and you begin to love him, it will be so exciting to find out what pleases the Lord. Just like it was so cool to find out my wife's love language. It was fun. That's what God wants. He wants that carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Now, Eric Little. Uh, Eric Little, my good buddy, Eric Little. He's not my buddy, but he could be. 
He will be in heaven. Um, running the Olympics in the 1920s. And um, he wrote, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know what's cool about that? Eric uh, had a sister that was kind of like, um, she, she wasn't enjoying her relationship with the Lord. She was kind of like driven by rules. And Eric had this liberty of living for the Lord and enjoying the Lord's presence. And, and that's what I like about this. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you realize that when you, when you purpose to, to find out what pleases the Lord, it gives him pleasure. And you feel that pleasure from the Lord. You, you can sense that pleasure. And that's why, that's why when, you know, our, our model, you love God. And you love the people like God loves people. And you love life. You love life because God is with you. God is working in your life. It's enjoyable. You sense God's pleasure because you realize you, you found, you discovered what pleases the Lord. Man, there's nothing like it. Really, there's nothing like it. So, there we go. We get to rest in that simple fact that God's working in and through us because we're pleasing him. Number four, keep your lights on. Verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. Here's another quick question, guys. Uh, Take no part. What does that mean, take no part? It literally means take no part. Pretty clear, Paul. Thank you. Putting clarity on that. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. You... Leave those deeds of evil and darkness out of your life. You know, Paul hit it in verse 7, chapter 5. Don't participate in the things these people do. Now, verse 11, he's saying, don't take part in the worthless deeds of of the evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Expose them. Now, in my backyard, I have have a little pile of, of wood from a tree that was cut down. And on occasion, I've taken some of those logs to use as props or whatever. But when you move those logs away, you've got all these nifty-looking bugs. And when you pull the log away, they go, ah! You can see them. And not only do they do this, they take off, man. They run for cover, right? Because they love the dark. They love the dark. And light makes them feel so insecure. That's how it is. What Paul is talking about, that that as a follower of Jesus Christ, when you keep your light on, he says, expose the darkness. Expose it. It's not like you're looking down on and say, you sinner, you evil person, look how holy I am. That's not what Paul's talking about. Some people, unfortunately, have that mindset. What Paul means by exposing is your light is on all the time. It's like when you walk in a room and you turn the light on. It's as simple as that. You expose the darkness. 
And hopefully through that process, people that are living in darkness will see that light of Christ in you and be curious to find out about it. Just like Naim was about his older brother. There's something different about you. It's creating a spiritual thirst in that person. That's what Paul's writing about here. You need to keep your light on. This inconsistency of light on, light off, light on, light off, it's like, what do people see in your life? What what are you presenting to them? It's bad advertising for the kingdom of God. You know? So, we have a responsibility of keeping the light on. Last Sunday, um, Bart Starr died. Anybody know who Bart Starr is? There's a few hands out there. Bart Starr, of course, great legend, Green Bay Packer quarterback, but He was a man of deep Christian faith. He was a quarterback that turned commentator and NFL head coach. He wasn't shy about sharing his priorities in life. It says, he said, like most kids, I idolized one sports figure or another. However, Jesus was the ultimate role model for me. Regardless of the success I have experienced, if my life does not exhibit God's love, it becomes less meaningful. How do you think Bart Starr is going in on eternity? By the skin of his teeth? You know? I hope I make it in? No. Bart Starr lived his faith in the public arena on a consistent basis. He kept his light on it. It says here, if my life does not exhibit God's love, it becomes less meaningful. He learned the secret of keeping his light on no matter what environment he was in. He saw the beauty behind that. And I want to encourage you this morning, as Paul does, to keep your light on. Go out and buy some duct tape. My man Hank Williams, do we have any Hank Williams fans out there? Wrote the gospel song, I Saw the Light. Some of you can sing it to me. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. (laughs) Have you seen the light? Man, people are waiting to see the light of Christ in and through you. Man, that's what we want. Number five, stay awake. That's just a heads up for everybody out there. All you guys that are yawning right now. Stay awake. Verse 14, for the light makes everything visible. Have you noticed that? The light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead in Christ will give you light. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Paul reminds us that it's so easy, isn't it easy, to go to sleep spiritually? Hmm? 
We, we get into a rut. We get into the busyness of life. Life has a way of beating us up, and we start to go to sleep spiritually. That's, that's one side. The other side is before we put our faith in Christ, we were spiritually dead. We were sleeping, so to speak. And that's why Paul says, wake up, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. We were spiritually dead. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then Christ will give you light. You have that opportunity this morning to do that very thing. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What a gift. What a gift. Anybody sleeping this morning spiritually? Hmm? Anybody dead spiritually this morning? The Lord is here. And he's saying, wake up, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. In a very practical way, Lord, you spoke through Paul to remind us in 2019 on how practical we can live our lives, allowing the light of Christ to shine through us on a consistent basis. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us if we've allowed the bushel to be placed over our light. If we put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off, Lord, we have hurt your reputation because of it. Will you forgive us, Lord, for living our lives so haphazardly, so inconsistent, so powerless? Help us to realize that there is a battle raging for our spiritual lives. Darkness versus light. Jesus, we're so glad that you pursued us and that you want to have a relationship with us. This morning, I pray for the person that has been running from you, that has pushed you away, just like I did years ago. And this morning, they're going to say to you, Jesus, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living my life on my own. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You took my place. You became my substitute. And in turn, you paid my sin debt in full. There is nothing that I can do to earn my way, bribe my way into heaven. You paid it all, Lord. And I trust you completely because of it. Just like you went after Naeem Fazo, Lord, in Kuwait. I believe you're pursuing people even this morning. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for demonstrating that kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen.